0: If you're in the Bay and can make it to Berkeley on April 18th, join us at our robotics and AI conference. We'll have live demos, interviews with leading robotics and AI technologists, and technical workshops that are pretty cool, along with some networking. Get 15% off your ticket using promo code equity at techcrunchcom slash robotics If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity.
1: Hello and welcome back to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Kate Clark and I'm joined today by Crunchbase News' Alex Wilhelm. Hey guys. It's been a very busy week here on Equity. We've actually done three shows for the first time ever. Why is that, Alex?
0: Uh, well, news. I mean, Slack <laughs> Slack told us they're going to go public, and that was kind of a drop the hammer, quick run to the mic moment. And then uh, Connie put out a pretty cool interview, and so now we're back. I mean, I don't know. Maybe people will get mad at us, but here we are.
1: And, well, we have plenty of it to talk about, too, <laughs> yes, in today's do. episode. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to the last two, feel free to download those after we finish chatting.
0: Yeah, um, but this time we're starting off with a topic very near and dear to this podcast because we're talking about <laughs> podcasting and uh, specifically Spotify's recent moves. Um, I don't. Kate, can you give us like the, the the overview of the big news from Spotify?
1: The big news is Spotify acquired two podcasting startups. Uh, paying a total of $230 million, according to Recode. So it's a really big deal. I mean, there's, there's a lot of podcasting startups, but there's never been an acquisition like this. Spotify has never purchased a podcasting startup. And it signals, I think, a new era for what spotify wants to become yeah
0: so drilling in a little bit they bought uh gimlet media which in my kind of conception is a upper end podcast production company with a number of in-house shows that are big deals you know shows that make equity look very very small because they're like you know like world-bending podcasts and then anchor is a podcasting tool company i think Mm -hmm. and so they've kind of bought in-house content and in-house tooling add right. that together to spotify it's not super hard to see where this is going
1: totally you can see that they have ambitions to expand beyond music which makes sense um i think uh, one of the stories written about this said they have uh, an expectation to produce 20 percent of non-music content in the future
0: i think is that they, they expect 20 percent of listening to be non-music so okay. a fifth so you know right now yeah. i bet you spotify is like 98 percent music and two percent podcast but if they can get better I would actually say user listening tools inside the app like pick up where you left off that sort of thing. Yeah. It'll go up.
1: And what's interesting is they plan to acquire more podcasting startups. So they said they want to spend 4 to 400 to 500 million dollars on podcast Acquisitions in 2019.
0: Yeah. So if you have a podcast startup, uh, I believe it's Daniel Eek at Spotify.com. Go ahead and get yourself a deal. Uh, And the real reason here is margins, in my view. Spotify has always struggled to raise its gross margins. It pays a large percentage of revenue to uh, record companies, rights holders, that sort of thing. If it owns the show, presumably much higher margins. Uh, we'll see. I feel like Apple Podcasts, I mean, just looking at like the equity downloads list, I mean, it's by far and away the biggest yeah, thing. Yeah, that's
1: interesting too because I think, you know, some of the TechCrunch staffers weeks before this happened, um, we were chatting about how we listened to our podcasts and I was one of, I think, two people on staff that pretty much exclusively listens to podcasts on Spotify.
0: Oh, so you were kind of the leading edge here.
1: Yeah, apparently. So I mean, you know, I listen to the Daily every morning, the New York Times podcast. I listen to the Pro Rata podcast and I listen to... Um, a podcast called my favorite murder which is a really great crime <laughs> podcast and, it's, it's, um, it's
0: actually about murders
1: it is uh, two women who very like sarcastically and sardonically tell tales of gruesome murders oh that and it's, sounds it's, lovely it's extremely popular and it's an amazing podcast but anyways i listen to all of those podcasts on spotify and you know it's just easy because i am a, like i use spotify easily 10 hours a day so it just makes sense for me not to be switching between apps so i i'm fully on board here
0: absolutely uh i listen to equity and that's a bit. That's it, actually. Really? I you listen don't listen to, to any other podcasts? What? None? No other podcasts. None. I just listen to this show and I'm like Okay, well, uh, you're not a true podcast. No, I'm not. Okay. I'm not at all. But I do know that Spotify's earnings were also today, and mm-hmm. the stock was down a bit, but they reported, I think, their first ever operating profit in the quarter, which is fascinating because if you go back in time, I think it was the, the quarter preceding, Spotify said that they hadn't spent enough money and that their, their results were more profitable than they expected. And so Spotify is trying to be aggressive right now, trying to really invest in, I guess now, original content akin to Netflix. And I'm, I'm excited by it. It's them not letting off the, the growth pedal, if you will, and still focusing on building a company that's even bigger and more diverse. And I've been using Spotify since uh, it wasn't even available in the U.S. yet. So I'm a huge uh, yeah. Spotify as well.
1: I'm excited, too. And I'm excited for Gimlet because I, um, it sounds like you don't listen to podcasts. But Gimlet, when they first started, they did a podcast on how they built Gimlet. And it's actually it would be a great listen for anyone who hasn't listened to season one of Startup. It, it completely documents the entire story of how Alex Blumberg, the CEO founder, started Gimlet. And it's a great story. And if you were to listen to that and now know that they sold for $200 million, I Like, I felt proud of them for that. So listen to it.
0: The production staff is giving that a firm nod (laughs) of the head as well. So that's two votes in the room, but two people actually know anything about podcasts. So that's a pretty high thing. Uh, But we need to scoot along because there's another deal in podcast land, which is a weird sentence, but an app called Himalaya raised $100 million. And before this broke, I don't think, Kate, you or I had ever heard of this app.
1: Definitely not. I had never heard of it. I was surprised to see that. I mean, interesting timing. I wonder if they sort of accelerated that announcement because they were like... I mean, clearly this week people are like, wow, podcasts are a, b- a good business if Spotify is going to pay 230, $240 million. It shows that
0: there's exit potential. But mm-hmm. it turns out that this app, which I looked up on App Annie, which is a service you can use to kind of drill into how many downloads an app gets and where is it ranked. It's not that highly ranked, but it's backed by a, a Chinese podcast app, um, according to the news that I read today. Which is spelled um, in in English, Himalaya. So it's Himalaya kind of with an X. Um, Mm. So a very similar sounding name. And that is a big app in uh, the Chinese market where podcasting is a bit different than it is in the U.S. I've read that Chinese podcasts are often subscription or often have a lot of tipping. So there's more direct monetization of shows in that country compared to the United States where, like with equity, there's an ad. Uh, which is a, a fine way to go about things but I think it's by less uh, revenue per listen generating
1: so if we were if the equity podcast was on the himalaya app then people could tip us
0: I think so really um, interesting which would wait we should be on the Himalaya app
1: yeah w- yeah wait I'm also confused so the investor is a Chinese podcast app and the company is a not a Chinese podcast podcast app but it is a podcast app
0: i believe himalaya is based in the united states and the okay. other one is based in china i think it's a very similar names so they're in a similar space
1: okay that's a little bit confusing it,
0: it took a while to unspool this but normally when a company appears on our kind of rundown i've heard of it i've talked to someone there i've read about it this time it was kind of a quick boot up because the dollar amount of the raise was so large we could not mention it in their podcast section <laughs>
1: Yeah, especially when it's $100 million. $100 but million. I think, dollars. I think the bottom line here is that it's just the dawn of the podcasting business, and there's so much more to come, and there's going to be a lot of growth, there's going to be a lot of funding, and probably a lot of M&A activity in the next few years.
0: W- one last note on that, mm-hmm. though. The, the Himalaya app, the, uh, the one that just raised all that money, has its own original content. So this is another bet not just on podcasting itself, but on generating podcasts. And uh, I think, again, it's an underscore of the idea that this is going to be an enormous genre moving forward mm-hmm. for a lot of people. But... Uh, we got to move on.
1: Yeah, we got to move on. Let's talk about Calm. Calm is, uh, raised an $88 million round, um, bringing its total raise to $118 million to date. Um, TPG Growth led the round with participation from Insight Venture Partners and Sound Ventures. So what's notable about this is that um, the round makes Calm the first ever mental health unicorn. That's
0: really impressive. And for people who don't know, what is a unicorn? A unicorn is a high-growth company that's valued at at least $1 billion. Do you
1: think there's anybody listening to this podcast that doesn't know what a unicorn is? Well, sometimes
0: I worry that people are going to download the show and be like, what's this? And then they're going to be like, why is it written in code? No, you're right.
1: Actually, my dad listens to it, and he wouldn't know.
0: Right. So for for Kate's dad, there you go. Um, (laughs) We were thinking about if the first mental health unicorn claim is correct, and we couldn't think of another company in the space that had a a correct amount of funding to reach that, that mark. So this appears to be the first one, and I think it goes to show how the meditation and mental health space has matured. Apps like Headspace and Calm have picked up a lot of traction. They put up big revenue numbers. And I'm I'm excited to see how Calm is doing. This is fun to see because it's actually making us probably feel better as opposed to like Instagram making us feel worse.
1: Yeah, it's really fun to see. And I think it's a net positive. Um, TechCrunch's Jordan Crook wrote, The growth of Calm is hard to deny. The company says that it has topped 40 million downloads worldwide with more than 1 million paying subscribers. Calm also says that it's quadrupled its revenue in 2018. The company is now profitable and is on track to do $150 million in annual revenue.
0: And that's why this was outstanding to me, because that is a huge amount of revenue to begin with. And it makes it almost seem cheap because if you've gone from, I think it's uh, 20 mil in revenue in 17 to 80 mil in recorded revenue in 2018 to a run rate of obviously more than 100 at the end of the year, this is not that high of an ARR multiple for a company that probably has pretty good margins. So my question is, Is the Apple tax, that that percentage of revenue you pay to Apple to be part of the App Store, is that deprecating its margin so far that it's not going to get a software multiple uh, because Apple takes so much of the cash? But at a minimum, you're paying... I mean, if it's doing 150 million in annual revenue, give or take, that's like what a six, seven x revenue multiple. That's not much, and it will compress. Um, I was talking to someone on DMs. I can't say who it was, but they're <laughs> talking about this particular round and as they'd seen it, and they said the revenue multiple actually compressed throughout the uh, fundraising cycle because it was growing so quickly. And so it's 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 still growing quick, really, really fast. And that's why I'm excited about it, because I think that means Headspace and everyone else can raise even more money.
1: Yeah, you're right. And I'm, I'm sure we'll see a lot more fundings in this space. Like there, there are a lot of early stage mental health startups. There are fewer that are at Well, obviously there are very few because this is the first unicorn, but there are a few that are at the later stage that are actually raising really big rounds like this. Actually, it's somewhat comparable to the podcasting startups arena. A lot of those are just early stage and, and, you know, there hasn't been a ton of late stage rounds. Um, But I was really interested in what you were saying about how it was a quote unquote cheap unicorn. Think it might make for an interesting post like other cheap unicorns.
0: Well, I'm not gonna post it. I just talked about it. I feel like you can either post about something or talk about <laughs> it on the show. You can't you can't do both. That's that's double deal. All right,
1: fair enough, fair enough.
0: Um just to make that clear though, a lot of unicorns that reach the one billion dollar valuation are often valued on growth as opposed to a revenue base. And so they often have a higher revenue multiple. Uh, than then Calm does. And that's kind of what I was reacting to. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we'll see if it's conservative or not. But it's profitable and has a bunch of cash. So I doubt they really care. They're probably quite happy with this. Yeah,
1: I think they want to build a sustainable business. And sometimes, you know, what we see with a lot of unicorn companies is they just want a massive valuation. They don't care if they deserve it. They don't care if they can ever really return that cash. This may be a company that is just not super hyped about uh, Silicon Valley's inflated valuations.
0: What are the rare no-BS unicorns? Yeah. Yeah. Hey everyone! Don't forget this episode is brought to you by SharesPost. Um, speaking of, of of rare beasts, Reddit is raising again. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but they are, and it's a lot of money. Yeah, too. I'm
1: curious to see what they do with this money. So, according to Josh Constein Um, Reddit is raising between $150 million and $300 million at a $3 billion valuation, um, a $2.7 billion pre-money valuation. Uh, They last raised in July 2017, and that was their unicorn round, which valued them at $1.8 billion. Um, Reddit currently has 330 million monthly active users. Um, and 150,000 subreddits. Do you want to explain what subreddits are?
0: Yeah, so Reddit is a big community site, for lack of a better term. And you can kind of build your own Reddit on Reddit. It's called the Reddit, <laughs> And you can focus on whatever you want. Uh, for example, I'm a fan of the progressive metal uh, subgenre, which is a pretty niche thing or niche. And there's an amazingly active progressive metal subreddit that just has people who care about that very small thing. Um, there's rude subreddits. There's weird subreddits. There's you know very PG subreddits. There's non-PG subreddits. It's an enormous look at human interest. And uh, a lot of them are less salubrious than others. And so Reddit has a reputation for being a relatively toxic place. There are definitely very toxic portions of Reddit. Um, there are also nice places if you go looking for them. But uh, certainly its staying power cannot be underestimated.
1: Yeah, Reddit has definitely gone through a lot of, well, its fair share of scandals. Um, it I seems like in the last year or so, things have been relatively good, at least when it comes to management, because I don't know if you've read um, Ellen Powell's book, Reset.
0: I have not. It's on my Required list. reading. You should read it. It has okay. a
1: great, has a lot of great, um, you know, she tells the story of when she was CEO of Reddit and how absolutely terrible it was. So that's uh, definitely kind of changed my personal opinion on Reddit. I but think that's very fair. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but the company, um, in a business sense, crossed the $100 million line in 2018 according to CNBC. So we know at a minimum it's operating at scale. And uh, the only other thing I can kind of throw into the ring about the Reddit round is is that they recently rolled out um, what we'll call increased monetization from users. For a long time, you could give out what's called Reddit Gold, which is like um, kind of like a a pat on the back to a different Reddit user. It displays a little tag on your name, and it's like, woo, you got – You know, you did good. And so Reddit would get some revenue from that. They rolled out some more stuff. So you can give Reddit silver, I believe, which was a meme on the site that's now something you can actually buy, Hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was about three, four months ago. And now they've raised. So maybe the numbers looked good and uh, the monetization is going as expected.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not something I, it's not an investment I fully understand. And it's not a company that I'm fully understand the business model, but. It'll be interesting to see what happens next.
0: The only thing I can throw out about the business model is that it kind of competes with Netflix. It's, it's, it's fighting for your attention mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a really big well, way. Well, what
1: I was going to say is actually like one thing I do know from just chatting with people that, are, that use Reddit is people are pretty obsessed with Reddit. People use Reddit every day. Reddit users are incredibly sticky. And people – I actually – I feel like Reddit is one of those companies that if you insult it to somebody who uses it, they actually get angry at you, which mm. is interesting. If People are just really protective of it. They love it.
0: People are protective of their home, both physically and digitally. And I think right. a lot of people, given how specific subreddits can get, I think you can end up with a very, like, uh, almost like a home team, if you will, about the thing you love. And mm-hmm. uh, that's, you know, people are going to get sticky about that, or snippy at least. But Sticky uh, and snippy. Sticky. They're, they're sticky and therefore they're snippy. That's what I meant yes. to say. Yes. Uh, English, very it's poetic. Great. Um Let's talk about something not nearly as interesting. There's a company called (laughs) Databricks, uh, which raised a $250 million round at a $2.75 billion valuation. They are an SF-based big data analytics company, which means they could do anything. Uh, But they raised a lot of money, um, and that's why we're talking about them.
1: Yeah, so they raised a Series E round led by uh, Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, KOTU Management, Green Bay Ventures, Microsoft, and NEA participated in this round. And if you're really interested in big data analytics, unlike Alex and I, you can read a good story on TechCrunch about what's interesting about Microsoft <laughs> participating in that round, but I don't think we're going to delve deeply into that. Um,
0: it's fun to see Microsoft more active in the venture space. Yes, uh, is. As a historical point, back in the day, before Microsoft had Microsoft Ventures, they had the thing called the Bing Fund, and before hmm. that, they weren't really active as venture investors, and they were trying to not do it because they said it wasn't... Um, what was the phrase? like? Material to the balance sheet. Uh, And then they (laughs) realized that actually using their money to buy early access to companies was very smart. And now they've been more active with their balance sheet in other ways, buying GitHub at all. So to see them in this deal is not a shock, but uh, also it's big data analytics. So we can move on.
1: Yep. Sounds good to me. So uh, next on our list is um, Lime's $310 million funding round at a $2.4 billion valuation. Um, this, I mean, we could talk about this. We talk about this every week, but let's just say, you know, it did close. We're excited that it closed. Um, uh, the investors were Bain Capital and Dresden Horwitz. Once again, Fidelity, GV, and IVP.
0: Wait, is that Insight Venture Partners or the other other IVP?
1: Ooh. There's, so
0: for people who don't know, there's two. Yeah.
1: Institutional Venture Partners and Insight Venture Partners. Right. And I can never... This is, um... I'm pretty sure this is Insight Venture Partners.
0: So it's the smaller one because Institutional Venture Partners does the really late stage stuff and Insight does more like middle late stage, if I recall. So if you don't know the problem that we're having, it's that venture capital firms have very bad names and they're named after like trees and hedges and it's, it's really oh, ridiculous. Oh, yeah.
1: One time I counted how many had the word creek in it and it was like 30. Yeah. Private equity firms though. Private actually. equity
0: firms are actually venture capital firms, but even more boring. Right. Exactly. Like Acorn they, Trust.
1: And I mean- it, they have bad names and startups have bad names, and that's something I could talk about for a long time because it frustrates me. Um, <laughs> IVP, it's uh, it just even their website just says IVP.
0: Guys, do better. Get a get a name we can actually remember. It's gonna help because there are so many venture capital firms now. It's ludicrous. Yeah. It's actually pretty frustrating. Um, the thing that matters here is that they had an up valuation in the round. When they picked up the three they are now worth $2.4 billion, which we'll actually have to say is higher than we thought they were going to be. The rumor on the street was that it was going to be a $2 billion valuation. They did a bit it better is slightly that. higher, yeah. And um, to me, this shows that The bullish sentiment of 2018 is bleeding a bit into 2019. There was concern as Q4 came to a close, especially as the Chinese venture capital market slowed, that maybe we would see a a pullback in Q1 that might kind of break the back of sentiment. But if Lime can still raise 3.10 in the middle of winter when their numbers are not going to be as good as they were when it was warm outside. When it was
1: warm, yeah.
0: (laughs) Seasonal business, literally.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, though, Lime... As we've discussed before, they do have a, they have more than scooters. So you know, yes, scooters are v- very much. It's a very seasonal business, but I think um, elect- electric bikes are slightly better. But also, they have the Lime pods, which I think we've talked about like three times. Those are the car things. Yeah, so they have those. You know, and I think they're growing. I think they have a lot of. I'm guessing they're going to expand that quite a bit. So you right. know,
0: um, but there is a bit of a scooterish news that we were going to touch on, which is that it turns out if you scoot into a wall, it hurts.
1: Yeah, so this is, well, this isn't funny. I, so, consumer- sorry,
0: I started off really on the wrong foot. That's yeah. my fault.
1: <laughs> so, c- Consumer Reports did an investigation. Um, they called a bunch of hospitals and police departments in forty-seven cities where Lyme and either Lyme or Bird operates, and they found that. Um, there have been 1,545 injuries that were a direct result of, you know, scooter riding, whether that be irresponsible scooter riding or, or responsible scooter riding. Um, there was actually just a death this past weekend in Austin. Um, somebody was riding a Lime scooter the wrong way down an interstate and they were hit by an Uber driver.
0: Down an interstate. They were on the highway.
1: Yes. Oh, no So gosh. that's terrible. Um, yeah. I actually shared this, I wrote this, you know, this story for TechCrunch and I I shared it on Twitter. And one of the first people to respond is a friend of mine from PitchBook. Um, He said that he got in an accident on a scooter and tore his ACL. And he's now been like on crutches for months. If you tear
0: your ACL, it's a long recovery. Yeah. It's a long road back. Well, so this him, is very real. Give him a real. shout out though. Who, who from Pittsburgh It was, was Mikey was it? Tom. Oh, it's Mikey. Yeah. He's now at AWS. Exactly. Wait, yes. Mikey tore his ACL. Mikey
1: tore his ACL. We'll
0: talk about that after the I show. I actually but... think
1: he might have been too, like in Austin when he did it. So maybe there's. I know he oh. was on a trip because he shared about it on Instagram, and I was was uh, following the updates.
0: Oh, and follow Mikey Tom on Twitter. He's fantastic. Yes. Um, this brings us though to. Uh, the recent event that you attended, yes, because I think it was Bird's CEO Mr. Travis VanderZanden was there talking about this and other scooter topics. Yeah, uh,
1: so Travis touched on pretty much everything that we've all been talking about when it comes to scooters: safe safety, seasonality, unit economics, um, copycats, just you know all these businesses just like coming out of the woodwork, focusing on scooters. Um, and as far as safety, you know, he said, and he seemed very genuine. He said that he has a young daughter and like thinking about kids riding scooters keeps him up at night. And they've worked really hard to try to make sure that kids are not riding, that people are not riding at night. Um, they did that with uh, – they require you have a driver's license to sign up. And they – he said that they, um, they don't allow people to ride the scooters after 9 p.m., which I actually didn't know. We don't have birds here, the bird scooters, so it's tougher to really know how that works. So it was kind of nice to hear him, you know, sound like he really is thinking about all these things. And when it comes to seasonality – he said that when he started the business, it wasn't something he really thought of. And then he quickly realized, like, yikes, like the cold months, they kind of get screwed. But he said even in uh, in Bird's worst month, they still perform a lot better than a lot of companies. So and it was I, interesting.
0: The number was they still had a $100 million annual run yes. rate during these lesser months. So we know Bird's revenue is going to be well north of 100 for a full calendar year period.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well,
0: the thing that really caught my eye in your piece on that Mm -hmm. was the discussion of unit economics and focus, because I'm going to paraphrase here and then please correct me. But he said essentially that at the beginning they were like, oh, gosh, this is a huge growth market. Let's buy tons of scooters, get them out there. And then they they didn't work that well. And so now they're focused on unit economics after being focused on growth. Is that fair? Yes,
1: exactly. So they they kind of went about um, expansion with the Blitz scale, the Reed Hoffman Blitz scale mindset, um, you know, like just growth at all costs. So they had all these Alibaba scooters imported into the U.S. and they just like basically threw them around a bunch of markets. You know, they started in Santa Monica and whatever and they moved throughout the U.S. And then after a while they were like, well, these scooters are only lasting like – Five minutes before they are breaking down, the batteries are running out. So they created their own scooters, um, which they call Bird Zero. Um, Travis says it's the first iteration, so there'll be you know additional models that are even better. But these ones are tougher; the batteries last longer. So you know we'll see. It sounds kind of like this is going to be a really important year for Bird, which makes sense. I mean, let, let's remind everyone: this company is what like this company launched just over a year ago.
0: I think it's like eighteen months old total yes. or something crazy. It's like crazy. That. So yeah. they
1: we, we should probably cut them a little bit of slack. They they have a lot of room to grow. At the same time, they have raised a lot of capital, so they have a lot of responsibility.
0: Yeah. I mean they also have a lot of humans on their devices. So the responsibility level is incredibly high because yes. you're taking care of us. Mm-hmm. And you know, health is a Yeah. Big deal. The
1: thing that's rough though with this, and I've been thinking about it a lot, it's like, how do you make scooter riders wear a helmet?
0: How many times have you ridden a lime bird or equivalent?
1: I've ridden a lime maybe three times, a lime scooter like three times. Yeah,
0: I uh, probably six for me on both, yeah. and I've worn a helmet zero percent of I've the time.
1: I've never rode a helmet.
0: So that's nine rides between us, not zero. And our production team, Mr. Gates, has given us another fat zero. So right. that's no helmets for all of our rides. Exactly. Thankfully, we're all here. Um, I know.
1: I mean, we're definitely aware of the fact that it's dangerous, but I, so that's that's the thing. It's like yes, I do. I hold these companies accountable. They need to educate their riders about safety and the importance of. Wearing a helmet and not riding your scooter at night and not riding it down a highway the wrong way, but like it's ultimately like consumers too who need to think about these things. The
0: flip side of that is I've ridden bikes very unsafely in Austin as well, so I, 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 I I'm very cognizant of the fact this is dangerous but also people get hit on all sorts of things so it's not right. a scooter screw- no, no, only no. problem T-
1: cars are extremely dangerous too. wear a seatbelt
0: yeah that, that um, should be the theme of equity is that you should wear a seatbelt um but you heard this interview down at the upfront summit which from the twitter photos that i saw involved a hot air balloon and other accoutrement of what appeared to be a real life silicon valley episode what yes. what was going on where was this
1: so this this was my first time attending the upfront summit which is hosted by Upfront Ventures, and um, pretty much like the premier L.A.-based venture capital firm. Um, It is in Malibu. I don't know if it's there every year, but it's definitely in L.A. every year. And it brings together the top VCs, um, select founders. um, Select. (laughs) Top celebrity founders. Cameron Diaz was there, and I don't know why. Natalie Portman was there, and I don't know why. Um, and also, uh, it brings together leading politicians. Stacey Abrams gave an amazing talk.
0: She just gave the State of the Union response uh, last night. No, two nights ago, sorry.
1: Yeah, she was great. It was, it was amazing to see her. And yeah, I mean, it, it was a it was a stellar lineup of speakers, but also strange. Like, um, they brought in someone from Guns N' Roses, and he gave an entire talk on how forming a rock band is just like being an entrepreneur.
0: So was it Slash or no, it Axle?
1: No. I don't remember. Those are
0: the two people in that have band I can name. <laughs> but I stood next to him
1: for a while, and he seemed like a very nice guy. But I'm not a Guns N' Roses fan, although they're from Seattle, and I am also from Seattle, so that's cool.
0: What we'll talk about the, the musical problems later, but um, <laughs> this was an over the top tech affair with lots yes. of money sloshing around, and almost every re- it, it, it looked like almost a ridiculous level of production, right, for yes. what was effectively some panels.
1: Yeah, I mean it was like Disrupt on steroids. So the, Disrupt
0: is already <laughs> a big deal.
1: Yeah, so it was. Um, Like you mentioned, there was a hot air balloon. There were chandeliers in the trees. The whole thing was on an incredibly high end ranch. There was, um, you know, like endless fancy snacks. Um, They brought uh, a Ferris wheel in.
0: There's a Ferris wheel too.
1: Yes. They had a carnival at the end where you could eat at food trucks and like play carnival games. Um, They had a choir sing Africa by Toto.
0: I, I saw that. That oh, yeah. was actually sounded pretty good.
1: Um, they had paid actors who were um, dressed as campers and you could talk to them and they were like pretending to be campers.
0: So they paid people to pretend to be what they weren't. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this, rem- I'm sure this is not the case. This isn't a really unfair example. Please don't email me mean comments. But. Uh remember Rothenberg Ventures that VC firm that had all the fraud and then yes. they, it was a huge catastrophe. They would do this really fun thing. They would rent out the giant stadium and then they would have like Rothenberg Day and you could go to the stadium and like hang out. So I went to this once and I got to like swing a bat behind home plate, which was great. Turns out I'm terrible at baseball. But it was an enormous boondoggle for like branding or something. Yeah. And so I'm curious this must have cost millions of dollars to put on. Right. Why? Well,
1: th- yeah, the thing is that's strange. Um, And I don't have – I heard this from an attendee, so I don't know if it's true. But um, the whole thing is free except for VCs pay $1,700.
0: How many VCs were there? I don't think they I had mean, a th- – Enough. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know how. They, I mean, you know, it's a VC firm. They clearly have money, but I don't know how they pay for it. I do think it's incredibly valuable for the LA ecosystem. That's Although, really fun. the LA investors that I met were like, this event is huge for us because it brings people from Silicon Valley to LA, and I. So I, you know, it's worth it, and it really is extremely well done, and it's one of the only. I think conferences that, uh, you know, where the attendees arrival who's on stage, like it's it's everywhere you look is somebody who you want to talk to. So a bit
0: like code or like the actual real TED conference. Like, the, right. OK, well, in, in that case, I retract at least 50 percent of my complaints because that makes a lot of sense. Maybe a hot air balloon or a Ferris I mean, wheel. I don't know. Maybe not both. I don't
1: know that we they need that level of um, extravagance like the chandeliers in the trees. I don't know if that's necessary, but
0: well, look. If the market keeps keeps going up, they will look brilliant. If the market crashes, they will look hilarious. Um, and that will be the determining factor for kind of the whole year. I feel the line of investments the same way. I mean, a lot of the stuff we're hearing now is based on a lot of optimism, and that's the surprising theme uh, thus far in Q1 2019. All right. Well, anyways, on that note, we okay. should wrap it up. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, we'll see you guys uh, in seven days. See ya. Stay cool. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and a big thank you to our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Picavet, and we will see you all right here next week.